great to see all of you this morning, and we're going to dive right into what I believe the Lord has for us. Last week, I, I started out a message called The Determined Life, and it came from 1 Corinthians 2.2. In that scripture, it, Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I thought it was such a powerful statement that he made that he didn't want to know anything but Jesus and him crucified amongst the Corinthian church. And so last week I focused on understanding what it means to be determined. It means to be decisive. It means to make a decision and stick with it. And what it means to know Jesus intimately and personally, and especially what it means to know him crucified. And this scripture was really jumping out at me because of how many hurting and broken people are that are around my life and in this church, and of course, in the world. There's so much hurt, there's so much pain, there's so many people that are dealing with major, major life crisis situations. Marriage is under massive attack right now. There's strife in the home and division, how kids are being raised and what kids are being taught and the examples that we're setting in society as a norm isn't a good situation. And so I realized that God puts us in a church like this and puts me in a position like this to help people like that, right? And so we're here to bring hope. We're here to bring life. And this morning, if you're hurting, if you're fighting in your marriage, if you're dealing with difficult children, if you're struggling with addiction, if you're struggling with strife and, and just all kinds of brutal, difficult situations, you're in the right spot. If you're not struggling with those things, you're in the right spot. <laughs> you're in the right spot because you need answers. And we need answers of how to help people that are going through crisis situations. And if you're not going through a difficult situation right now, it's probably just a matter of time before one comes along. Now, I'm not wishing that upon anybody. The last thing that I want is for you to go through crisis. But sadly, crisis can be inevitable, whether it's open heart surgeries when you didn't expect it, whether it's job uh, getting let go of your job, whether it's a son or a child making bad decisions or a spouse or something going on in the economy that really affects our finances. Whatever it is, life can be extremely difficult. And what we need when we come to church are answers. What we need in the midst of those answers is God's presence. We need a tangible presence that transforms us and brings peace and comfort and life to our lives, okay? And that's why we worship the way we do. That's why we have Rock City, because we wanted to create a place and a space where people could really experience him in a unique, tangible way for the purpose of transforming lives. Because when God shows up on the scene, something happens. And it happens on the inside and it changes us and it'll ultimately change our city. Because I wanna see, Cor I like Corpus Christi. In fact, let me rephrase that, I love Corpus Christi. I'm very, very happy that I live here. Now, it wasn't always that way. I didn't like it at all when I first moved here. And there's a lot of things to be irritated about in this city, from the economy to good jobs to human trafficking and gang violence and drug addiction and fatherlessness. But the darker it is, the greater opportunity that we have to shine our light. And God calls us to be a light in the darkness. And don't ever forget that. Don't get sidetracked by what you see in this world system. You could go to a place where you've got pride in the community, 
You could go to a place where the neighborhoods are really, really clean and everybody mows their grass. You could go where there's a lot of money and not be where God wants you to be. Just remember that. God calls us to be light in the darkness. And I'm not saying in those communities that have those things that they don't need Jesus. I'm not saying that. And I'm not comparing where, you know, this to that. What I'm saying is, is God puts us in a place to make a difference. So what he wants to do is he wants to snap you out of the hurt and the pain and the self-isolation and the shame. He wants to snap you out of all the dysfunctional things that you're going through so that you can help somebody else to overcome it. And that's everything about the cross. That's what Jesus did on the cross. So Jesus would become our pioneer. He'd be our ultimate pioneer. He'd be the ultimate example that would set the stage of how we're to live, how we're to love, how we're to lay our lives down. Yes, all of Jesus's teachings were incredible, but they all pointed to the cross and ultimately the resurrection. And I said this last week, I said, you won't know until you know Jesus crucified, you won't know Jesus resurrected. Everything has to go through the cross, everything. And so in our personal lives, until you want the resurrected new you, you won't know that new you until the old you dies. Until we come to the cross and lay our lives down, we won't live the resurrected life. Now, the challenge is, is so much of the cross teaching over the course of time that I've heard hasn't been very exciting. Uh, it's been actually pretty, pretty brutal, and there's, there's a hardship to it. But today, I want to give you some really cool insights and answers of what it really means to know Jesus crucified and for us to come to the cross. And I was going to talk about how living the determined lifestyle today would be for others, but I'm actually going to push that to next week. Because today, I want to talk about a little bit more about what Jesus went through and comparing our lives to his. I don't really like comparing things. I don't like comparing this church to other churches. I have a real hard time looking at what other churches are doing to try to compare mine to that. I do like to hear from other pastors and other preachers and other ministers, but if I try to compare our kids' ministry to someone else's right now, I could get pretty frustrated because some churches have the most epically awesome kids' ministries, but they don't have the most epically awesome Melody and Felicia, right? And volunteers, and volunteers, that's right. But the point is, is you start comparing and you fall into this trap. Please don't compare your life to someone else's. If you're going to compare your life to anybody, compare it to Jesus. And that's the power of the cross, because when you understand what Jesus went through and what he overcame and what he faced, it puts everything into perspective of how we live our lives. He suffered, he bled, he died because of love and because he loves you. And he paid the price once and for all, and it's finished. Now all you've got to do is grab a hold of what's been given to you freely. You can't earn it. I mean, it's the understanding that salvation was already provided. It's not of yourself. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to transform yourself for eternity. Now, you can read self-help books. You can be hitting the gym up night and day. You can, do, you can really eat well. You can do a lot of things to take better care of yourself but that doesn't save you for eternity. And it may help you live longer, and it's a good thing. But Jesus first came for eternal life, and he first came to transform you spiritually, not physically. 
And I know that that's hard because physical is the immediacy of our life. Physical is I'm hungry. I'm, what am I gonna wear today? How do I look? What's happening next? My job, my money. And Jesus does care about those things. He cares about those things. And those are benefits of a life lived at the cross. They're benefits, but not ultimately what he died for. He ultimately died so that we could live and have incredible life. Okay, so I'm gonna share a couple things with you that I think are really gonna help you, especially if you're facing a difficult situation or if you know someone else that is. I love this quote by Billy Graham. He says, God provided, God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. Everything about the cross revolved around love. So even in being despised, even in him being a man of sorrows, even in him uh, being esteemed stricken, that we, that we even believe that God just walked away from him and didn't care and that it was God punishing him because he didn't care or because he was a false prophet. Even the shame, even the, the, the hurts and the pains and everything that he went through, all of those things were because of his love for us. Okay, and so let's pull up 1 Corinthians 1.18. Everybody say, there is, a message. there is a message. So how does this apply to you? I wanna help give you tools today, and then I wanna pray for you. We wanna ask the Lord to come because it's not great teaching, great preaching, or wisdom of man that tra- changes lives. It's God's power, and it's his love, okay? So we, there is a message, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God, okay? And so there's a lot of things in this scripture. First, what's the difference between people that are perishing and those that are being saved? One believes and adheres to what they believe. And because of this, they find life in the power of God while the other makes the decision to reject and turn away, they lean on their own wisdom and their own understanding and their own prudence. And in turn, they reap destruction and they're brought to nothing. Look at verse 19. This is from Isaiah. In the Old Testament, God said this, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And so... God would use this message of the cross to bring down the wisdom of the world. Why? Because anybody that doesn't come to the cross and eat from the tree of life or the bread of life is still eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So anyone and everyone that is not born again is living under a curse. And they don't even realize it. And what happens is, is when the, the result of that curse is leaning on your own intellect. That's why Jesus came to crucify the intellect. And I love Kevin's probably going to say it when he comes in a few weeks, but I love this statement. Intellect is a terrible master, but it's a wonderful servant. And our intellect has to be submitted to Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, it makes this profound understanding that Jesus is the wisdom of God. So if you wanna be wise, you gotta get with Jesus. 
And what, what God's doing is he's bringing the wisdom of this world to nothing, and he's destroying the wise of the prudent. And the word prudent, the exact definition of the word prudent is the intellectual. The intellect can be one of the greatest enemies of God because couple intellect with the wrong tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what it does is it makes you your own God instead of leaning on him and what he did. So Jesus would have to crucify the intellect. He was crucified on the place of the skull, Golgotha or Calvary in Greek. He hung on a tree, a dead tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He took thorns, which were a result of the curse of the garden, in his skull, and he crucified it. Now, I want you to catch this. Go back to verse 18. How is God going to destroy the curse? Through the message of the cross. I'm, I'm helping you connect the dots today. I don't want to make it so difficult that you can't. I want to, when you walk out of here, I want you to have this message. And I want you to understand a few things. Number one, people are going to think you're an idiot. Because the exact word in the Greek for the word foolishness is the word moron. Look it up. It's literally the word moros. It means you're a moron. You're not really a moron, but people are going to think you are. For the preaching of the cross is moronic. For the preaching of the cross makes you look like a moron. Whoa but I'll be a fool for Christ because it's at the cross that there's power. And the challenge is, is that this generation's walked away from the cross or people don't want to carry their cross. But the comparison of the cross I have to carry to what Jesus carried makes my cross really easy. I mean, I have to deny myself. That means all the sinful pleasures that I used to like and want to do, I don't do anymore and there's an overcoming, and there's a laying of my life down, and there's a learning of what it means to love you and lay my life down for one another. But when I try to compare that to what Jesus did, this is easy peasy, man. This is like, this isn't that hard. That's why you've got to get an understanding and a revelation of the cross. Make it your endeavor to understand the cross. We want all the power. We want all the glory. We want all the resurrection. But until we go through the cross, we're never going to get there. And going through the cross isn't like, you know, when I say you have to die to yourself, you have to understand dying to self produces supernatural results. And that's what I'll show you in a minute. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured. So he, he knew the result. You've got to get past the temporary desires for self-gratification and understand what it means to delay it until you fully lay your life down at the cross. It's delayed gratification. It's like you want all the benefits, but you don't want the price. We want the policy, but we don't want to pay for it. Yeah, we're preaching the cross today, guys. I don't know what else to tell you. Because look, I love the power. I love the signs and wonders. I love the miracles. I love the prophecy. I love everything. And I want to help your marriage. I want to help our lives. But the problem is, is we have too many people still living and eating from the wrong tree. See, the, go back to the scripture, the first one. The people that are perishing, it's foolishness. The understanding of perishing is spoiled fruit on a rotten tree or a dead tree. That's the understanding. Perishing is, how many of you have a grapefruit and orange tree in your yard? A lot of us do. The, the, you don't pick it and it falls to the ground and you let it sit there. That's perishing. 
Worms eat it, flies eat it, maggots eat it, holes in it. That's the understanding of perishing. Now, the challenge with this is don't fall into the, the subtle lie that God has already predetermined who's going to hell and who's not. I hate that with a passion. That's such a lie, okay? That's Calvinism to the extreme. And that's not what we're talking about. There's not a group of people that now, I'm gonna preach the gospel to four of you and two of you are already perishing, so it's gonna be foolish to you, but the other two you believe, so you're gonna be saved. And God preordained it. That's not the case. The understanding is that not everyone will make the choice and the decision to lay their lives down and come to the cross. And when you talk about how God gave, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only son. And let me tell you why he gave his son, by the way. Just so you know, let me tell you about the cross. Let me tell you that Jesus died for you. And to the people that believe, they're going, yeah, this is, this is gonna lead, I believe, and this will lead me to salvation. To those that are being saved, it's the power of God. And so being saved is making the decision to live the determined life. It's being decisive. Your life's not your own. Jesus paid the price, and we compare our life to his. And so one person's denying the message and choosing to keep eating from the wrong tree. They're leaning on their own wisdom, their own intellect. It's humanism at its finest. See, a humanist is somebody that believes you're God, God, you are the God, and everything lies within you. You have the power to transform yourself. You could create you, and that's the problem with a lot of self-help things that are out there, Tony Robbins and others, is that I created who I am. I am who I am because I made the decision to become something in my own strength. It's self-help at its finest, and it's subtle and it's deceptive. Be extremely careful. Because you remove the cross. Woo, you talk, when the cross isn't your message, the message of the cross is foolishness, just prepare. Anybody that decides to live a godly life will be persecuted, the Bible says. The cross, oh man, let me tell you. Man, I know you're going through an extreme situation, but you know, Jesus, he went through it too. He suffered and he died and he bled and he shed his blood so that you could live. And now because of what he did, there's power. And I understand this is hard and I wanna comfort, I wanna console you just as he did me. But you can do this. Come on, pick yourself up and let's learn to fight right. Let's get to the right tree, the bread of life. Because if you can get the bread of life and the tree of life in your life, you'll be transformed. But if you keep eating with the intellect, see the, the mental illness uh, crisis that's in our society today, fueled by technology and distraction and comparison and lack of love and fatherlessness, all of those things, all of that mental illness crisis Jesus crucified and died for and reversed the curse. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about that, okay? All of us ate from the wrong tree. Let's make sure we understand. All of us were affected by the curse of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And let's make sure we always remember that you can try to live a good life and still live under the curse. God doesn't want you to be good. He wants you to be spiritual, this is, this is where it's at. I'm telling you, I'm giving you some steak this morning. I'm giving you some food to help you to live differently when you walk out. Because what good is it 
if we go to church all our life and we don't walk out changed or thinking differently or especially living differently, okay? So Galatians 3.13, because of this curse, it would have to be reversed. Everybody say reverse the curse. So the Bible says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And Christ redeemed us by reversing the curse, okay? You guys know what, what it means to redeem something? You redeem your gift card, you know, your Apple iTunes gift card. You get gift cards for Christmas. You're gonna go and redeem it. It's, an, it's paying the price to exchange something in return. But Jesus is way more powerful than a gift card. I'm just telling you, what he did was actually supernatural because what happened in this case is that it's kind of like the pirates off Somalia that pirate these giant oil tankers. And then a country pays millions and millions of dollars to get the oil back, okay? So they buy it back. And they buy it back because of the value that's in the, not just the people, probably even more so the oil. These nations are buying it back for the oil. So Jesus buys you back when you couldn't do anything to help yourself and he bought you back because you're more valuable than the price that was paid. And what you're able to do becomes more power powerful than the price that was paid. So because Jesus paid the price, now millions and millions and millions from one man's death came millions and millions and millions, millions of on fire, radical Jesus loving Christians all over the world. I mean, I just love listening to the new worship music that comes out. I love to hear the creativity of what's coming out of another musician or another person or another preacher on the other side of the world. He's so far, they're so far removed from me, yet they're lit up because of the cross too. I mean, it's powerful. So redemption, to pay a ransom. It's a payment to fully recover. So anything in your life that has been lost or messed up, screwed up, burnt down, if you burn bridges, divorces, failures, you name it, pick your worst thing you've ever done, you can fully recover because of the cross, right? He paid the price and it was specifically for a purpose. It wasn't haphazard. The price was paid for a purpose, okay? And so for us, it's complete freedom and the opportunity to now bring that life and freedom to others. So Jesus, so it's like this, I'm gonna pay for something that I deem is more valuable than the money that I'm gonna pay for it with. I'd rather have the pair of jeans than the 50 bucks. I'd rather have this shirt than the 50 bucks that I have. I spent the money to get the shirt, you understand? Now I get to wear the shirt and look good in it, rather than 50 bucks hidden in my pocket, okay? It's the understanding that Jesus paid a price and the price he paid was to redeem something that would be so incredibly valuable. You gotta see this because this is how I look at you. This is the eyesight and the vision you should be having for everyone else. Jesus died for that. See, man, when you, got when you have the cross front and center and you understand what Jesus did, the way you live, the way you see, the way you love, everything changes. But what happens is we, we do a quick bypass of the cross or we do a drive-by stop like a, like a fast food restaurant. I'm calling you back to the cross today, everybody. And you know what? Don't ever leave. In fact, the cross is always paramount, always, is always directly related to the resurrection power. 
Oh, man. So Christ redeemed us. You know what it means to be? I, you know how I like to teach you some new words? Who, who'd like a new word today? I love teaching you guys new words. Here's a great new word, execrable. Execrable. The word execrable means to, to be utterly detested. It means to be abhorred. It means to be, a, to, to be an abomination. It means to lie under a curse. It's cursing someone else. It's putting a curse on someone else. Probably used a lot in witchcraft, right? Or voodoo and all those things. But see, Jesus, pull that scripture back up in 3.13. Jesus would become a curse. He literally came under the curse that we should have been under. That still so many people are under. He died for everyone, but there are some that are perishing because they're choosing to reject. But if you will believe this morning, if you will believe, power will come. Woo, power will come. Okay, so pull back up 313. He became a curse. It means to be denounced, damned, or imprecate evil upon. Okay, basically means to pronounce a curse on someone else. You guys can look that up. So Jesus would become the full curse for us in every single way to reverse it out of your life. We don't have to live in destruction. We don't have to live in strife and division. We don't have to live in addiction. We don't have to live in hurt and pain and mental illness anymore. We don't have to. We're transformed sons and daughters. We're part of a kingdom now. We're not of this world system. So when you see all the hurt and the pain and the dysfunction, which by the way, you gotta really be careful on, on how much news you watch. Man, God's given me a whole new eye. And you gotta be careful with social media. Because little things that get into your eye gate, if you're not solid in your faith spiritually and you're not dialed in with the Holy Ghost continuously, you will subtly be led astray and not even realize it and you'll formulate opinions and belief systems, and you'll compare yourself to other people, that's why you don't have enough time in your life to read the whole Bible. I'm not talking about I read it from front to back. I'm talking to know it. This message that I preached last week and this week and next week, this is the rest of my life. I, there's so much depth to this one message. It's a lifelong process. So we've caught... I've just gotten less and less satisfied with TV and social media and the things of this world and more hungry for the word because I know what it does. And so there's people still living under the curse, but Jesus would reverse the curse and he would actually do it himself and he would redeem. Say, I have been redeemed. And it's an incredible message of love, hope, life, and redemption. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 2, 2, and 3. This will ultimately set up the message for next week. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We talked about determine and we talked about know. The word know, are you following me along up there? 1 Corinthians 2, 2, and 3. We'll start with verse 2. I determined, everybody say I'm determined. determined. Don't know anything else. He's, go, he's going to the extreme. It's like Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. You need to make it your ambition to know him, especially with what's coming down the pipeline in this world. You think it's crazy now? You better prepare yourself. 
And you know what's gonna happen when it gets crazy out there? This church is gonna be insane. And by the way, you're sitting in the, former, in, the, in the future youth sanctuary and prayer room and kids' classroom. This isn't even gonna be our church anymore. We're blowing this, we're blowing out of here and handing this over to the kids. Because there's so many people that are coming and it's not just gonna be Rock City. I don't care if God brings revival to New Life, Real Life, Church Unlimited, CCCF. We're all in the kingdom. Bring it, Lord. Just say, bring it, Lord. But guess what? There's so many, there's hundreds of thousands of people in the city, our church. There's not enough space in all of our churches combined for the harvest. That's why we need to start opening up our homes and breaking bread together at home. So make a determination to know him and him crucified. Look at the next verse. This is the verse that caught my attention more than any other for this message today and one that's got me thinking heavily. Just ponder this one for a minute. Paul says, I was in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Now with the church, he said, determined to know only Jesus among you. So next week, I hopefully will get to among you, okay? But he was in weakness, fear, and in much trembling. And I thought, man, he's talking about the power of the cross, the message that's foolishness. And he's talking about how he was with this church and with these people in weakness, fear, and much trembling. And I thought, there's a pattern here. There's someone else that was with us in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And God took me to Luke 22:44. You see, there's a pattern. And the pattern is this. Jesus did it for you so you can do it for another. He did it for everyone, but now we become the body of Christ in his hands and feet, which means that I stand together with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And no matter what you face and no matter what you go through, I make a determined decision and we must do it for one another. This cannot be a kumbaya social club. This cannot be a, just another nice Sunday morning gathering. We have to become trench fighters. We have to be those that know how to get in the trenches and love and fight even when it's inconvenient. When somebody knocks on your door at midnight asking for bread, but your kids are asleep and you don't wanna wake the family up and you say, I'm gonna do it no matter what because you laid your life down, not for your comforts. So when God says, hey, stop and talk to the worst of the worst and love on that person and pray for that person and I'm gonna call you out of your comfort zone when it's inconvenient and when it's hard and when it's difficult, that's what you need to do, but that's for next week. See, I love the giving to others, but if we hurry past the cross for ourselves, we're gonna miss the power. Guys, don't you like talking about this? Man, this is, mm. So Luke twenty two forty four, and being in agony. Everybody say agony. Oh, I got, I'm gonna teach you guys something really good here this morning that I learned, okay? The root word of agony is ago, A-G-O. And it means to be led or to lead. It means to be directed or to direct, it means to be guided or guide, or it means to be led through something. So in Hebrews 2.10, let's pull that scripture up, we see this scripture, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things 
in bringing many sons to glory. That's the word ago, bringing. So he's leading, he's guiding, he's directing us to glory. How? Through what he suffered and what he went through because he was made perfect through his suffering. He became the captain. Everybody say, he's the captain. I really like the word captain. The, ca the word captain has a lot of really fun things in it, and it actually means that he is our ultimate pioneer. He's the chief. He's the forerunner. He blazed the path in front of me so that I can go now. So he's already become my, the captain of my salvation. He's my chief. He's my pioneer. He's the author and the finisher. Same context. He's the one that if I'll just follow him, he's blade the path. So when Jesus said, if you want to become a disciple, you have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him, it's not one or the other. It's all three. If I'm not following him, it's going to be near impossible to carry my cross. And denying myself on my own is impossible. The reason why people answer an altar call or come to church but live the same is because they don't live at the cross and keep their eyes on Jesus full time. He'll give you the strength and the grace to do it. It's by grace that you are saved and saved means he rescued me, he delivered me, he defended me, he protects me, and he makes me. It's a progression. Salvation isn't this one thing. It's this process where God came to your rescue. He, he pulled you out of the pit and the muck and the mud. I mean, look at your past life. Now, some of you are still wrestling with past lives, but guess what? Here's the good news. If you'll get your eyes on Jesus, the captain of your salvation, and you understand that he was made perfect through what he suffered, now when you suffer, you have somebody that's already done it. You just, get, you just follow him. And so, he brought many sons to glory. The word brought, ago, it means to be led, directed, guided, and it also means to do it for other. Ago is the root word for the word agony. Go back to Luke twenty-two forty-four, And the word agony also comes from the word agon, add an end to it. The word agon means a place of contest or games. It's an assembly, and it's a place where a contest or a battle is done. It would be like a place where the Olympic games are held or a football stadium or a baseball stadium or a soccer field. It's the place of battle, which is the root word of the word agony, which means a struggle for victory. Agony isn't like just an excruciating, agonizing means I'm fighting. I'm in agonizing pain because I'm fighting the pain. I'm in agonizing struggle because I'm fighting against it. But guess what? There's victory for sons and daughters because Jesus has the victory. And if somebody dies prematurely due to cancer or a car accident or something else, and I've officiated way too many funerals for teenagers, it doesn't mean that they lost. It means that God healed them in a different way. And now they're with him if they knew him. That's what that means. And so the understanding of agony is extreme distress about something and severe mental struggle and emotions. And that's what Jesus was in. 
You know how many, of, you know how many uh, trials Jesus went through? Six actual trials. We're not talking about hardships before, people wanting to kill him. Six actual trials. But I would say seven, and I would say this was the first one. Because you know what he wanted to do here? He said, Lord, if it's your will, let this cut pass. But nevertheless, not my will. This was right before he was arrested. And I love this, that in the midst of the great struggle and the great challenge, and in the midst of being made perfect through suffering, see, suffering is misfortune and affliction, and some of us are going through that. But if you don't give up and you'll look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, you'll actually come out stronger and you'll overcome because he did. And so what did he do when he was in agony? He prayed more earnestly. And guys, you got to get back to crying out. We cry out to the Lord in this church. <clears throat> I mean, I'm talking roar like a lion. Come on a Wednesday. I'm, I'm a little more subdued on a Sunday morning. But I make no apologies because I understand what it means to cry out to the Lord. And I'm going to be loud about it. Because praying more earnestly is, being, is in my desperate hour Instead of falling prey to victim mentality, I pursued him even more than before. So all of us face various trials in our life, so did Jesus. All of us will live in, in an agonizing life. Why? Because it's called fighting the good fight of faith. Agony doesn't mean misery. It only means misery if you choose to fall prey to a victim pity party mentality. Agony means I'm in a fight. Say, I'm in a fight. Look, I know people right now. He was in the hospital just not long ago. I know people's marriages are struggling. I got people that are sick. I mean, you get hundreds and hundreds and soon to be thousands of people. You got some issues going on. So whether it's you or somebody next to you that's in agony, it means they're in a battle and a fight. And here's another incredible word for you. It's related to the word agony, and it's called agoga, and it means your manner of life and your conduct. And what it means is anybody that desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Hardships, trials, trials, struggles and struggles. You know what I want to say? Struggles and trials. There you go. Struggles and trials. I mean, I don't look, guys. I mean, I, I want let's have an awesome life. I'm, I love my kids. I love the awesome things that I get to do in my life. I'm so thankful. But in the last year and a half, man, have I faced some crazy trials. And so, and so have some of you. So hurricanes and economy and crisis and what the government does and the president this and the president that, I'm not of this world. Neither are you. But we're acting like you, we are. President Trump doesn't affect my life in the kingdom of God and how I choose to live. Neither can you. I'm gonna leave you with this. The cross contains power to the resurrected life. 1 Corinthians 1.21, since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom does not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The foolishness of the message preached saves people. <laughs> this, is so, this is so funny to me. The foolishness of the message priest saves somebody. So stop thinking you have to have all the right words and the polished, eloquent speech. 
Go pray for somebody, lay your hands on somebody and remind them that Jesus loves them and gave his life for them. I mean, come on, guys, you can do it. The key is to believe. The key is to trust, okay? I don't have time to read Hebrews 12, one through six, but I gave, each week I give you some homework. When you go home today, tonight, or when you're laying down for your nap or before you go to bed, will you read Hebrews 12, one through six? It's so powerful. It talks about a race that's set before us. And next week we'll talk about how Jesus is talking about the foolishness of the cross defeating the wisdom of the wise. Why? Because he's preaching to a Greek society that's full of philosophical rhetoric where people are gathering to talk about self-help, the way to life. And Jesus comes in and says, if you want to know the way to life, all your self-help philosophical rhetoric won't get you there, but Jesus on the cross will. And then I'll sum it up for you. He says, come here, let me pray for you. And, he, and power comes. And the power sets the contrast because there's power in the cross. So let's say that. There's power in the cross. So I don't have time to read that to you, but one thing I will point out to you is that Jesus endured. Everybody say, Jesus endured. He endured the cross because there was joy set before him. And what did he endure? He endured hostility. He endured uh, becoming discouraged and he endured becoming weary. And that's why this little bank of scripture says, consider him. I've taught this before and maybe I'll even bring it up next week, but it says, consider him lest you become weary and discouraged. Let's all stand.